everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. Hi, everybody. You got Wayne here from Colorado, and I showed everybody earlier it's snowing here, and we got William in Croatia, and this is William's every other week session that we do, and I'm going to start right out by saying I actually screwed up, and we'll, we'll get it fixed, but he is not going to skip and, and have this his next presentation be a, the end of the month. Instead, it'll be on the 17th. I don't know why that didn't get added, but when you go... And, and it won't change. It'll still be, I'll, I'll just modify the schedule. You won't have to register again. All of you that are here, you're already registered for the whole series. I'll just go in and correct it. But he will be speaking two, two weeks ago from now today at this time. And it'll just continue on that basis. And then quickly, you don't have to skip a week. Hugh will be, so those of you that have time now, you'll have time next week. You should come in and listen to Hugh. And then I want to give a little bit of an accolade to William and then in, encourage all of you to do the same thing. We have a, um, a um, affiliate program right now, and William is the leader in the leaderboard, mm -hmm. and we're going to give some prizes on a, about every three-month basis in getting people that have signed up for our Eat Free program. And William, I think you are over 100 now mm -hmm. um, in that. And then a couple other people are on your heels. They're catching up. Um, but William's also had some people that have signed up for our elite program, and he's going to have a check coming to him. And I'm not going to tell you guys the number. If he wants to say that at some point, it's fine. But for right now, he's got money coming his way. You guys could all have the same thing. And I'll, anytime you want to talk more about that, we can discuss it. I don't want to take away his time. I'm going to turn it over to him. It's all yours, man. I'm going to turn my webcam off. Go for it. Okay. All right. So everybody can see this. Throw in a one, everybody, if you see the screen. Yeah, they're seeing it. David says yes, Matt says yes, everybody's saying yes. Okay, then I can start. Okay, so Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, I'm a little bit sick, but I'm, you know, healing myself with, with slurids and, you know, some elderberry tea, so, uh, you know, I might stop and, you know, drink some tea, but, you know, I'm fine, so let's start this new year with uh, the first important thing that you know it's on everybody's mind is you know if they don't have land then it's finding appropriate land but I would say that uh, this lesson can also apply to people who have land because I'll go just through the framework of what you should be looking for in, in, in land uh, when you're looking for land and also what kind of uh, let's say information you should be collecting about your site as well so as I go through there uh, through the presentation if you already have land then just uh, think about uh, everything that I'm talking about and how you can collect all the data points that I'll be uh, explaining so we are here you know we are still in the research phase but you know we've done all the contexting I'll just go slowly over that uh, you know just to summarize but now we are in finding appropriate land and you know, next time we'll be on preparing a base map, uh, but now we are focusing on how to find uh, how to find land. 
So as I said last time, uh, you know, we concluded, or I concluded, and we talked about that, you know, we are facing some, you know, big challenges in the future, and in the next 20 years will be uh, definitely interesting time to live in. Uh, we, are, you know, we are seeing big changes in, you know, in our environment, in our technology, uh, in our economy, and also in energy as well. So, and all of these all of these changes and challenges are going to bring a, a, a socio-political changes that we are already seeing happening. I won't go here, you know, to the, all of that. Uh, you know, go back to my previous presentation and you'll see what you know what I said that uh, we can uh, expect what kind of you know crisis or what kind of changes challenges we can expect in the future. Um, but also concluded, you know, the, the the big thing is to understand that. Um, the changes are already happening right now, but depending on where you live, you might experience a different, you know, reality or different facet of of the all the things that are happening. And in all of this, I would say that the scale is a critical factor because on the global scale, we'll have one set of uh, you know uh, movements happening. Uh, we are probably going to see the continuation of uh, extraction of fossil fuels, but on the national scales, different countries will have take different routes. As you know, we can see already today that you know U.S. Ex is experiencing completely different route than, let's say, Denmark. Denmark is you know almost. I, I don't know exact statistic, but the the you know the the, the how much they embrace the renewable energies is you know much more than what every other country is doing. We're seeing also Germany making you know big moves. And we're also seeing that different regions in the in the you know different regions or states uh, are taking also different routes to adapt to these challenges that are coming and uh, moving uh, on a more local scale different communities are also adapting uh, and on the household scale we all are adapting the best that we know. So uh, I would say that uh, you know, with that in mind, uh, I would say you know, if you look at the the lower uh, the lower circles, you know, we can we can, you, there is a there is a circle of control, circle of influence, and circle of concern. Obviously, everything that is on a global scale that's a circle of concern, and we can't change much. Uh, we can only you know influence uh, things in our circle of influence. That would be you know our our, our local community. And you know we can control things on our you know homesteads, uh, but I would say that uh, how you know vulnerable to the crisis, future pro potential crisis we we are depends on how you know reliant we are to a current system. So uh, I said last time that we need to build parallel resilient systems and improve all our self-reliance, and uh, by doing so, you know. We'll be able to benefit from whatever is coming in the future, and most importantly, you know, preserve our freedom, our freedom of choice to do what we want in life. And so, and with that, I conclude that uh, no matter what the future you know holds, we you know we must uh, take a positive outlook and build our resilience, and um, we can do that uh, uh, when you know we think about the whole problem as a whole, uh, addressing the problem uh, through expression through our farms. And uh, I said that you know, components of our resilient, if we're going to build our resilient life and our resilient permaculture farms, uh, there are five components. And 
that's community on location, uh, you know, water systems, infrastructure, living systems, so you know, food, and farm economy. And the first one is uh, location and community. Uh, I said that community and social capital are incredibly important. Uh, we are, you know, uh, social creatures, and we need community interaction. Uh, we can't be expert, experts in everything. We need others. We rely on others for our deficiency. And in creating uh, our household and the community economies in our circle of control and influence, uh, we can improve our lives and compensate for whatever you know shortcomings uh, in a global economy uh, maybe you know unfold. And you know, before we start with searching the land, I always encourage people to start with you know defining their context and you know thinking about their goals. And that's true in every you know aspect of permaculture. You know you have to be you know you have to understand or be clear on what you want, so you'll be able you know to reverse engineer that, and you know to have some guidance to be guided by your goals and vision and everything. So the first thing is, <coughs> sorry, <clears throat> we start with defining our context. Uh, you know each of us has its own unique situation, and we need to start. Uh, from there, uh, that means, you know, identifying who are the, all the people involved and who are the decision makers in the process, uh, identifying our resources, making inventory of them, and being clear on vision uh, and our vision and goals. And for this, this is, you know, this I didn't, you know, I, I used a holistic management framework, but I've also added something that I know from my own life, you know, from you know, personal development. So we're going to go through that. And the first step in defining our context is, you know, to list or you know involve all the people who are going to be, you know, in in your life in your project of starting a permaculture farm. If you already have farm, then you know you have to involve the, all the decision makers. And in your search of the land, you have to involve all the decision makers because uh, if there are decision makers who can, you know, weather your decision, then you know you have to in include them. So, the decision makers are all the people who are making, of course, day-to-day -day decisions in your know, life, in your family, or in your business. And you can't go through the context creation until you have all of them uh, involved in the process, as I said before. And once you have your involved everybody, you know, everybody in the process, then you go through the uh, inventory of your resource base. And resource base means you first start with uh, making inventory of physical resources, like you know assets uh, that you have on hand. Um, and here you can you know list any major personal resources, supplies, tools you have that you know will support your future project. And you know you don't have this is not like you have to make a detailed list of every asset you have. Just only a general one, you know. If you have, if you have tractor, include the tractor. If you have car, include the car. You know, the, if you have all different machineries, include them. Um, you don't have to. Some of them you don't even have to own, but you know, as long as they're available uh, to you, you know, just make a list. Next are financial resources, and that means you know, you know, what money is available 
for investing in the project, you know, for investing in your future land, for buying land, and you want to list all the sources of money you have available that can include, you know, cash on hand or money in savings account, money available, you know, from your relatives, a line uh, of credit at a bank, government grants, subsidies, and so on. And again, there is no need, you know, to be detailed um, or to quantify the amount of money. Um, just name the water sources that you, you have available. <clears throat> and then finally, think about uh, how much time and energy you know you can devote to your future property or you know to searching for land. Um, if you have land, then how much you can devote to the design, implementation, and maintenance of the landscape. But you know you wanna you know you know you wanna make sure that you are you know mm, honest with yourself. Uh, to see how much actually time and energy you have, you know, it all depends if you're working full time, if you're self-employed, retired, and it also uh, depends on how much physical energy you have. You know, if you have any potentially limiting personal factors, you know, as health or age, social issues, or anything that might restrict you in some way. You know, just be sure that uh, you wanna. This is your inventory. You don't have to be you know, super detailed. Just this is uh, your foundation uh, before we move to uh, to discussing, you know, how your future might look. Because uh, once you have all the people involved and you understand, you know, where you, you know, where what your physical resources, what your resource base is, then you go to uh, defining your vision. And for this, I use something that I found, you know, for defining your vision and goal. I adapted uh, something that's found uh, from Simon Sinek in his book. I think the book is named Start with Why. This is the Golden Circle, and there is, you know, why, how, and what. And we start first. We start with why, and that means, you know, why you want what you want. Then with how, how is it going to look like your life, your future life, and what. Uh, what do you need to do in order to get that? And we'll go through all of them uh, one by one. And first, uh, we are starting uh, with why. Uh, as I said here, you want to articulate uh, why you want what you want. Uh, this is, of course, your you know fundamental purpose, cause, or belief uh, for embarking on this you know lifelong project. So here, you want to think about. Uh, answers to questions like, you know, what gets me out of the bed in the morning, what makes a good life, or what do you want to be remembered for? Once you, you know, once you understand, when, once you know your why, uh, you will be, you'll be guided by that why. You know, this is going to be your north star, and you know, when the going gets tough, uh, you'll remind yourself why this all is important. And you know, I want, uh, you know, claim that. This is easy, you know. Finding your why or your purpose is not easy. You know, people uh, have issues. I'm happy that I found my why and I know what my why. And for people, I'm just going to list some examples what people say. You know, why they are embarking on their permaculture journey and starting their permaculture farm. Usually, it's access to quality food or be connected to nature or raising a family or starting a family in non-toxic settings or it's about their freedom or financial independence. And this is just to give you a general idea. 
you know, what others, what I actually learned from talking with others, what their motivation is. Uh, my motivation is actually, you know, being provider for my family. And, you know, that means my wife, my children and, and my, you know, extended family. And, you know, even if you come up with uh, something like, oh, I just want to, you know, self-reliance or, or self-sufficiency or, or I just want to plant a lot of food, I would encourage you to you think about uh, deeper and ask why. You know, if you want uh, self-reliance, then ask why you want so, your self-reliance. And once you ask yourself enough time why, why, you'll actually get to the core of uh, why you want, what you want. And this is, you know, this is, this is going to be uh, really important because for me, a lot of times I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, working hard and sweating in a, in a, in a summer sun on, on a 35 degrees and uh, then, you know, I would think of myself, you know, is this all worth of what I'm doing? And then I would, you know, come back to my why and I would, you know, then remind myself that, of course, this all makes sense. So I would encourage everybody to start first with their why. It's not easy, you know, but if you are still not sure, then uh, you have to ask yourself what is important to yourself, what is important to you, and uh, the important thing in life uh, give us, you know, meaning and happiness. So identify what is important to you, and uh, you'll get to, to your why. If you, you know, if you have any problems in, you know, identifying, you can, you know, of course, read books, but hopefully this I will give you some idea. Uh, what, why, you know, should be, uh, how to find your why. And then next, uh, we're moving to how, that means, you know, your vision, and how do you want your life uh, to be. And, you know, you, you write down or think about the conditions and experiences you desire to fulfill in your life or, you know, in your future farm. And here I suggest that you, you know, you always, I always think about, questions because questions are really powerful and it's all about framing the questions so for finding your vision I have a suggestion that you ask yourself so where do you want to be in 10 years you know let's say that we have a conversation in 10 years and uh, everything that you wish for you know is fulfilled how is that going to you know how is that going to look like uh, what do you want to be getting out of your life or out of your property? Uh, how do you see yourself in 10 years? The thing is, if, if you don't know where you're going, uh, you don't know what's the best way to get there. So that's a, like a first suggestion. The second suggestion would be that you think about the perfect day exercise. So think about what would your ideal perfect day look like? You know, of course, you know, perfect day. Um, perfect day change and then evolve, but uh, uh, imagine for a moment what your perfect day looks like, you know, what it feels like, what you experience, what your thoughts are, your conversation, emotions, uh, you know, paint a picture for yourself and be, you know, as detailed as, as you like. I can tell you that when I was you know, doing this exercise, then, you know, I was, uh, I created, you know, I, I I didn't write, but you know, I, I had a, like a mental. Uh, I just you know think about how my perfect day would look like, and everything that I described. Then I was able to reverse engineer uh, into a next step, and next step is you know your goals. 
So here's when you think what you need to do to make your vision reality. So as I said, you know, as I had my vision, then I could go through each part of my vision statement to determine what I have to do, you know, what I have to create or produce in order to make that vision, you know, attainable. And based on that, I wrote my goals. And that was, you know, if I was envisioning myself on my future farm, that, that means that I needed land, that means that, you know, I had access to land back in Croatia. If I wanted, you know, to, to, to have a food forest, that means that I needed to start food forest. You know, simple things like that. But once you have your vision and you understand what is truly important to you, then you can disregard all the little details that you'll be obsessing and focus on a few, you know, not on many. And in creating, you know, your goals, uh, I would encourage you that you think in, in terms of smart goals. Uh, a, goal is, a goal is just a wishful thinking if it isn't smart. So smart means, you know, first S is for specific. And that means what exactly you intend to do, you know. Bad example would be start a farm. Good example would be, you know, uh, be more detailed about, you know, how your farm is going, you know, how it's going to look like. So measurable, how much of uh, what you do, what you intend to do, you know, what gets measured gets improved. So, you know, be, be, be concrete on your examples, attainable, of course, you know, uh, one, you know, you can think about um, being unrealistic, but you have to, you know, be sure that you're, you're putting your, that you're putting your goals in a sphere of what's realistic for you in your, you know, context. Time frame, have a have a deadline, and uh, and did I? Oh, I saw, sorry, and relevant. Uh, they have to be specific to your, you know, to your vision. So that's the thing, you know. And so now we're going to, you know, why, how, and what, and that, you know, hopefully this will just give you a framework how to think. So. First, think about your why, then how your why, how how your vision, and then what what your goal should be. And we always start with that because uh, you have to be clear on what you really want and why you yeah why you want it in the first place. <coughs> okay. So. Here's the main question. So the question is where to establish a farm. Finding perfect land is, you know, can be expensive, and you don't want to make, you know, make your job harder. Um, so I'm going to, you know, give you a, a framework for what you use when you're uh, trying to find that appropriate land. All land has potential, but depends on your goals and what you want to achieve on your budget and everything. That's why, that's why we went, uh, that's why I'm encouraging you to go through the exercise first to determine your, uh, you know, your physical resources, your, your financial resources, your time and energy, how much you can devote to all this project before trying to find any land. And, you know, because then you'll, then you'll know exactly what your capabilities are, uh, really. So here is a short framework that you know I was uh, developing when I was thinking about this, you know, finding appropriate land. So I would say that you know if you are serious about moving to a place better aligned with your, you know, with your aspiration, what you want to do, you want to start with uh, some kind of ranked list of what's important to you in your search. 
Uh, of course, we you know already talk about you know goals and visions, but here I'm talking about you know we're going to go through the uh, big picture first, all the way to the you know from national scale all the way to the site scale. Because I think as you are on a, on a big national scale, uh, certain conditions are more important. You know, certain factors are more important than as you go you know uh, down in, down in scale. So. Uh, at the big, at the global or national scale, I suggest that you look at the big, important, you know, non-negotiable factors. Uh, here, I'm going to suggest that you look at uh, socio-political or cultural factors. Uh, what are the impacts of climate change and other hazards to the to the country and broad climate conditions? Um, you know, for example, your non-negotiable factors can include: I want a stable political environment. You know, stable. Um, ecosystem, um, affordable healthcare, or, or or something like that. That's a, that's a big non-negotiable factors that you know can't be as easily influenced in a regional scale. Of course, not in in a size scale. So looking then within the country, again based on your priorities, you want to create a list of target regions to start investigating. Uh, here, I recommend looking at specifics of climate, uh, landscape features, and of course community. As we said, community is really important, but uh, you know, community. Again, we are going on the regional scale, looking at different regions, and then moving, moving, you know, uh, uh, down the scale to the community scale, and then uh, to the uh, specific site location, and then we'll be going into details of what to look at the site, you know, water, slope, and aspect access, and soil and vegetation cover. And for your research, you know. Um, there is two parts of the research. One one kind of research is you know armchair research where you can use tools like Google Earth, Google Maps, um, different you know GIS maps, uh, websites, the various websites and data you can find like this uh, on the you know, easily on the internet. And but on the side scale, we're going to use you know our observation skills and uh, talking with others in the region. And we are going to learn more uh, about you know observing the landscape in the reading the landscape uh, a session. Uh, in four weeks, I think, and I'll here just give you a, a, a framework so you know what to look. One, you know, once you decide what to look for, what different elements, um, and and sort them in order of importance. Uh, also, okay. So the first, as I said, on on a you know we're looking at general location, nation, general location, region and then uh, a specific location site and you know if you have that option to move nations not everybody has but you know I, I actually surprisingly met a lot of people who have that opportunity to migrate to another country and uh, that's why I said that's why I'm doing this you know some of us have opportunity to move to other countries you know I don't have a lot of money but I was able to move in countries because I'm, you know, uh, I had that opportunity, and some of them can move, you know, inside our countries to different states or so. Some, some of us can move in the same, you know, within the region. Some of us, some of us don't have that opportunity and can stay along where they are. So, but I want to first cover the the, the general location, the nation scale, and <coughs> as I said, here you want to be guided by important non-negotiable factors. Such as social, social, socio-political, and cultural climate change impacts and other hazards and broad climate conditions, 
I'll just go, you know, I'll go into all of them uh, here. And the first one is socio-political, cultural, and social. And this means, you know, first looking at the political environment of the country. You know, maybe it's not. This is like not a rank. This is the obvious, you know, top priorities: social, political, cultural, social. When you look at national scale, but you know, all these factors play in. So obviously, political environment. If you want to be in a stable climate, you have to be aware of you know uh, what the political situation in the country is. I put a few maps here, you know, so you can see that uh, not all countries are you know as stable. So you know, you want to consider if you're moving to a country which is you know corrupt. You want to you know obviously you want to you know consider that. Um, you want to look at what the economic situation is in that country, and and you know if you have that opportunity, if you have that knowledge, uh, maybe anticipate you know how the economic outlook of that country is going to look like, and you know access to healthcare. Uh, I would say that is extremely important because you know with no access to healthcare, then and and just being uh, uh, starting in farming, buying land, and investing so much money, obviously you know this is a, this is a huge factor. And you know, the fa lastly, you know, proximity to family or close friends. So, in my example, you know, uh, I would say that proximity to family, close friends, and and of course, uh, the culture of of the place I'm living here was, for my wife and I, was overriding everything, was overriding the political environment, economic situation, access to healthcare, in some sort, because uh, uh, these are the big non-negotiable factors that we were considering uh, before moving. So the next one is uh, next important factor that I would uh, suggest that you consider is what are the you know climate change impacts and other hazards in the potential country of your choice. So you know of course for example if you look uh, let's say if you look uh, New Zealand New Zealand is obviously you know it's economically stable it has accessible uh, uh, healthcare uh, it has a bright future green you know green tech future but uh, you know, it's a it's a, a very exposed to natural hazards and earthquakes. So this is something to consider, especially if those earthquakes are happening in the areas or in the countries we have nuclear facilities. So these are the big, you know, big factors. Uh, you know, similar like in you know, let's say for example, Italy. So you wanna you know, or moving you know, I don't know, moving to Oklahoma where you know there are tornadoes. So this is this is these are the big factors. Um, that will potentially, you know, be influencing your life. So, and I would input here both natural, both natural and man-made hazards. So that's why I include nuclear facilities as well. And also, you have to understand that as we are expecting the climate change, uh, you know, to get worse, uh, some countries will be winners, as I said last time, and some countries will be losers. I would say that. Uh, uh, in a sense that okay, obviously you know more extreme weather, but in 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 a sense of uh, of weather, how the weather is going to be favorable for growing crops. So let's say you know for example Canada, if you know if you can see on the lower left image, uh, Canada is obviously going to have uh, experience climate change that's going to be favorable for growing. You know, uh, Canada could be, become a, a breadbasket, a new breadbasket, um, producing a lot of you know grains, but you know that's kind of the the framework you should be thinking. Uh, you know how the climate change could be impacting this country, and how you know how overall the country is able to to uh, 
you know, bear with the consequences of climate change. Obviously, let's say uh, that you know, Western countries are able better to handle the, the climate extremes because they have, you know, it's easier for, you know, if you're in America, it doesn't cost you much. I don't know actually how much it costs you, but you have that opportunity to, you know, if it's, uh, I don't know how many, 40 degrees Celsius, I don't know how much they will be in Fahrenheit. You can always turn your air conditioning. But if you're in some poor country and you don't have energy and everything, you know, you don't have that opportunity to, you know, to turn on, to turn on that air conditioning. So this is just, you know, a few things to have in mind. This is, you know, of course, the, the also the big important factor. And the next one would be, of course, you know, broad climate condition. The climate will be the biggest influence on your land, on your desired activities. And uh, one of the best examples is plant hardening zone, in which, you know, of course, um, uh, you can't grow things that are not in your plant hardening zone. Of course, you can stretch it a little bit. But, you, you know, you have, to be, you have to be sure that if you're moving to a certain climate, you know, what spring, summer, autumn, winter looks like, can you cope with, uh, with that conditions? Can your crops or whatever you want to grow can cope with these conditions? And think about how much, you know, wind, solar access, precipitation, and everything, just in a, like a broad climate uh, conditions that you can uh, see for this kind of map, just to, you know, to guess understanding. If you're, not, if you're moving to tropical country, understand what uh, tropical climate actually means, what you can do or not, and uh, how we're going to experience that. And also climate has a, a big influence, the biggest microclimatic factor has the biggest influence on uh, uh, vegetation. So this is also, you know, you can't, if you go, let's say, to Mediterranean countries, uh, the type of vegetation you can grow there, you know, of course you can, you know, do everything in your, in your little, you know, piece of paradise, but you'll be fighting against the, against the local conditions, uh, so I would say that um, uh, you can't go temperate forest type of system in a Mediterranean climate. So you need to understand all the implications of climate, so you can better, you know, assess what your potential is going to be in that country. All right, so I'm at 30 minutes. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to see if there are any questions. It's a little bit quiet, so I don't know. Just let me know if you have any questions. I can stop. You know, uh, I can stop for five minutes. Okay. Somebody saying about the links. I'll, I'll put the links. I'll put the links in uh, in the resources page that I have, and uh, this resources page, I'll put the link next time. But uh, the resources page is uh, is going to stay the same to all this, you know, all the all the sessions. So you can you can always reference what I was talking about here in the you know, in the, in the next sessions or uh, when, I, when I put a link. Okay, so Sonia says that I would like to get the names of the climate maps to further investigate. That's what I'm going to do. I just, you know, I'm, you know, what I'm doing here, because these subjects is, 
these all subjects are you know, so extensive. Um, I can't, you know, go actually any deeper into, you know, uh, detailing, studying in details what exactly you should be looking at. Now I'm just giving you a framework what to look for. But on my resources page, I'll be able to, let's say, put some, some, some links like that. Okay. Uh, somebody, Helena, uh, is saying how to live a permaculture lifestyle. Actually, I'm talking about how to transition. So I'm, you know, I'm taking all the steps from, you know, defining the context and and finding your land, and then you know we we go forward. I don't know if you were here from the beginning, but I'm going to go all the steps on actually how to live once you have the farm. This is of course the first step because different people are in different situations and some of them and I saw a lot of people actually saying that they want to hear about that so that's what I'm doing so okay so J Justin is asking what are some good open source programs for doing your farm design open source well I'm using there's a thing I was using for my you know, design I was using illustrator of course, it's not paid one. I can I can find alternatives for you. Uh, obviously, I'll have to you know I'll have to talk about that in the in the next session where we're going to talk about you know uh, creating a base map and uh, base map is is a base for design. So uh, once we have base map, then we are obviously going to put that base map into design problems. So I'm going to address that. I'm going to address that later. Okay, let me just scroll back. Okay, Helena says, my why is all four of the points I see on the screen. And I know the deeper why. Excellent, Helena. That's great. All right, I think there are no more questions. Uh, so Helena is asking, will there be an outline of the topics for different sessions? I'm not sure if Wayne is going to do that or maybe Mark. I'm not doing that. I'm just, you know, presenting. I have much more. Everything that I'm talking about is is a, a, a project of that you know, I'm exploring on my website. So as I'm, you know, doing these presentations, I'm also doing uh, a writing blog post. So I'm not sure if you're on my list or not. I would you know suggest that you go on my list and and maybe we can continue our discussion there and I can give you some outlines you know some resources and something like that <coughs> okay I'll, I'll then if there are no more questions I'll just continue All right, just give me a second. Okay, so we are moving to uh, general location and, and region scale or regional context or regional scale of research. 
So here again, based on your you know goals and priorities, you know I I have different goals and priorities. You have different, so I can't tell you. I'm just going through the framework. So with you know if you have decide on a country, or if you are you know if your only options is to choose regions in your country, you wanna you wanna make a, a list of target regions uh, and start investigating or. Uh, um, you know, start investigating, and here I su suggest that you look at uh, specifics of climate and uh, landscape features and community. And the first is uh, uh, climate. Um, as I said, you know, at the, looking at the, at, the, at the global or country scale, you first identify broad climate conditions, and once you move to the region scale, you can look at the specifics, uh, you know, specifics for your climate. And you know here I'm here I'm just going to outline what you should be looking for. Uh, first, of course, is you know as I alluded before, plant hardiness zone. Um, this will of course help you understand which plants will most likely survive at location. Um, you know, looking at uh, top left image, this is this is a hardiness plant hardiness zone uh, map from USDA, uh, but essentially. Uh, similar maps are available for different parts of the world. Uh, for you know each of for everything that I'm talking about, you can. That's why that's why I said this is armchair uh, stage of you know your research. You can do everything from the you know in front of your computer. You just and now I'm just outlining uh, what you should be uh, looking for. And you know I have a whole course about this, and I have variables and everything. Uh, but you know, as I said, these are you know I can't go into exact details uh, for each country. That is just you know for me. This is just uh, you know I can focus maybe on a few countries, but uh, for each country you have to do your own research. Um, also, you wanna you wanna uh, gather all the you know information about the temperature uh, throughout the throughout the whole you know year, rainfall distribution. Uh, solar radiation, um, and this information, as I said, is easy to find by searching online or, uh, you know, uh, getting uh, information for free from government meteorological organizations, or you know, just requesting personally uh, from maybe your local councils or you know councils in that regions that you are you know if if you can. But the best. Uh, chance you have is just searching online. And one other thing that you want to consider is, uh, you know, what's the elevation that your region is you know, is in? Because uh, every hundred meters you go up, you know, up the mountain or up the hill or up in in elevation, you get a temperature drop of one degree Celsius, and that means that. Uh, as what you're doing essentially is, you know, moving through the climate, you know, zones. So maybe you are, you know, if you are in the desert, uh, in the desert area, and you move up the mountains, you're actually moving, uh, you know, moving away uh, from the equator, you know, into more, let's say, temperate uh, climate. So you need to be aware of uh, of that as well. And then uh, looking at the landscape. Uh, uh, you want to look at the geographic features, you know, ge geology and general type of the soil, and of course also biome uh, and landscape is uh, combinations of all those features in uh, one area of land. 
as I said, this includes physical elements like mountains, hills, water bodies, rivers, but also living elements as well, uh, such as you know, uh, indigenous vegetation. So the first one is geographic features, uh, and to you know look at the geographic features, this is you know this is that's why I said this all is easy. Armchair research in front of your computer. You use Google Maps or Google Earth. Uh, it's actually simpler if you use Google Map because then you can switch between satellite and terrain view. Uh, you can look at uh, you know a satellite image and of the selected region and. You look at you know how far it how far it is from uh, from uh, from a sea or some big lake because this is going to influence let's say your potential site, or and you look at uh, you know are there any, any rivers and then you look at the landscape you know is it mountainous is it flat uh, are there any wetlands or desert you know just a just a general overview of the region uh, I for example generally prefer mountainous region mountainous region depending on how high the mountains are can you know can actually allow for a lot of perennial you know uh, water supply throughout the year so um, if you're closer to the sea for example then your temperature change will be buffered by the you know a huge amount of the, that water so that means you know slightly less extreme temperature change and just a general overview also, you know, if you feel inclined to, inclined to, you, you can uh, investigate what kind of geology or bedrock you can expect in the region. Uh, for example, you know, just looking at, you know, looking to, maybe I'm biased, but you know, I'm a geologist. But you know, if you can find maps like that and you can understand them, uh, you, you'll have a general idea what rocks you can expect in your region. For example, looking at the region where my farm is situated. I could see that from geolog geological map that there is a lot of you know limestone, and then based on my knowledge, I know what to expect from a, from a from a soil that is you know generated on that kind of bedrock, and what kind of you know hydrology I can expect there. So just looking at these kind of maps, um, and you know just looking for example also looking at the soil map, um, also you can see that can reveal a lot of data, and I'm telling all of this. To use all these maps because uh, they give us a guideline or hints of what to expect. Uh, because essentially, first order of influence on plants are bedrock. Uh, then it's soil because uh, soil is made from bedrock, and then plants uh, use that soil to you know grow. So eventually, essentially, I would say that. Uh, the plants that are growing are expression of the bedrock. So that's why that's why I'm saying, you know, knowing these old maps, soil maps, geologic maps, uh, you know, specific climate, you can already, you know, you can already have an idea of what to expect. Um, so maybe you don't have your, you know, farm, and you're just looking for a farm, or you already have farm. This kind of in investigation can tell you a lot. And then finally, look at the, your biome uh, because. Uh, uh, as I'll get there, this is extremely important for the living systems you'll be trying to establish. Uh, biome is uh, biome is a geographically uh, widespread ecosystem, uh, which is uh, characterized by certain dominant types of vegetation, such as you know, or such as you know, tropical rainforest, tundra, savanna, deciduous forest, and so on. Uh, this is important because, as I said, we are establishing resilient 
living systems and you want to mimic the ecosystem you're in uh, because uh, this will ensure that you, that you do less work. Uh, this will, you know, uh, again, for example, you won't be, you know, you, you can't, uh, well, sure you can establish a, a temperate climate forest in the desert conditions, but at what cost? You know, you want to imitate the ecosystem that is around you. And the thing is, uh, for example, if you have, if you have a, a, a f your farm and your farm is surrounded from, you know, from three sides or four sides by, by a forest, then obviously that forest is going to try to you know, encroach on your property. Your property will always want to be a forest. So rather than you know going against the nature, you want to work with nature and mimic the forest. But you know you change the the species found in the forest that you know you find unproductive for your purposes to grow food that you want. So that's why that's why understanding biome is important. One, that's one, once again that's why it's Let's say it's not it's not critical, but uh, knowledge is you know this is all the interesting detective work you can do be prior to finding your land prior to going to your site. Okay, so the next is community, and you know as I said, community is uh, one of the most important factors in you know trying to establish a resilient permaculture farm. Um, it's going to be really important in researching your, you know, potential, you know, what your potential region you should be considering to be living in, and um, as I said, whatever future holds, it's better to face it surrounded by the people you respect, you know, admire and love, and you can trust. And also, as I said, similar, you know, similar. I always like to, you know, uh, draw correlations with nature. If you're living in a in a in a town in a community. And that community, uh, and you have three, four neighbors all around you. So obviously, that community, those neighbors, uh, that town is going to try to encroach on your property with its uh, laws, regulations, with the, with the culture, and everything. So you'll be always trying to resist uh, that community. That's why, of course, you want to be, you know, you want to belong to a community. Do you feel, you know, uh, you'll be happy to be, you know, around. <laughs> so, for example, a lot of people think that they'll just move somewhere, you know, somewhere and be, uh, you know, lone ranger in a rural area. But I would say that uh, I would say that that's a that's a that's a very limiting uh, that's a very limiting view because you'll be missing a lot. And when I say a lot, you know, in a community, you have uh, you're you're all pulling resources, your time, skills, enthusiasm, enthusiasm, money. You're able to develop local currencies or barter, and you're working all together. Uh, you know, building social capital. And if you are alone, you know, somewhere in the forest, far away from any community, or your market, potential markets for whatever you'll be doing, you know, your farm economy, you'll be actually, you know, on your own. You'll have to be self-sufficient as much as you can and do everything, uh, you know, basically on your own. So that's why I would say that. It's important that you understand that the location of the land and you know its relationship to both town services and the community affects its potential as much as the natural characteristics of the land. So that simply means that you might have a perfect piece of property you know, surrounded in the forest, uh, a lot of natural resources, but without the community and far away from any town services, 
I would say that you'll be this disadvantaging, disadvantaging yourself big time. And uh, you'll have a lot less opportunity for you know for everything. Services will be more expensive. Services will be more expensive, and you'll be you know you'll be on your own. Uh, so on the other side, of course, you don't want to be in the middle of the town or in the middle you know of the city you know with your farm. So I would say that uh, embracing the permaculture principle of edge, I would say that a good rule of thumb uh, would be, let's say, a periphery, uh, like, a, like let's say a small town periphery of a of a big city uh, that you know you're that has a decent size, uh, you know, of a, of a town. So uh, you you have all the services from a, from a town, uh, but also you have your own peace and you're in nature. And you have, all, of course, you have your market. Your market is close, and that's something that I learned from David Hongan. He situated his farm in the periphery of a, you know, of a Melbourne city, and it's some I don't know, maybe 100 kilometers from Melbourne, from the you know city, from the from the central, not from the suburbs. But he's a, he's a, in a small town. He has his you know two-acre plot. All the town services he even has you know the water you know the city. City supplied water, of course, he's using it only for I don't know certain purposes, but that's what I'm saying. It's not we are not aiming uh, full self sufficiency, we are aiming self reliance, and that means still using the technology that is available, <coughs> but being you know self sufficient as much as we can. All right, so let's you know move to the meat. So, based of course, on your you know what you want, you know based on your context, preference, priorities, you make a let's say that you choose your region, that you make a, a, a largest circle of your favorite region, and you know to to get more detailed about your research, now you look at all the towns that are within your circle, and you find out more about you know what type of people live there, what what is the demographic, what type of culture is in a, in place. Uh, what the people living there, what do they value? Uh, think about how would you fit in that you know community. If the community is full of uh, you know baby boomers and you're not a, a, a retired person, then and if you're younger, then obviously that's not a community for you. You want to also think about what is the population density. Um, maybe you want to live near enough. You know, maybe you're young, you have young kids or whatever. You want to live near enough to other people, so you are you have ample opportunities to socialize, have fun with others, you know, go to movies, concerts, events, shows, parties, and whatever, and that all requires uh, sufficient population density. Also, you want to look at the state of local infrastructure, you know, what is the transportation, health, you know, energy services, and everything. What is the availability of services, and of course. <coughs> You don't want to miss out on legal, you know, looking at legal characteristics, you know, zoning and regulations, because you don't want to buy somewhere, you don't want to buy property somewhere and, you know, just to find out that what you want to build, if you want to build an airship, that's not possible. If you want to collect water, that's not possible. So that's a big, you know, that's a big, huge thing that you should also, you know, be investigating. And of course, size and composition of local economy. You want to make a note of maybe industries in the population centers. So you have better understanding of the overall economic pictures. Uh, 
and uh, what are the bright prospects in that you know maybe you'll be you know in the beginning while transitioning maybe you'll want to work you know some uh, have some off off farm part time job or uh, also what you know what is what are this market um, potential market looks like you know are they you know, are they capable to pay for your product so all this is going to give you uh, uh, some idea of what are the the, the appropriate you know, towns uh, for you, let's say, that you gravitate then towards. And I would suggest that you think about your life as a whole. So living and working and playing are all social activities you want in your life. So they, ideally they should all happen, you know, close to each other as possible. So, um, you know, look at all, look at the big picture of your life and what you need from life and what you need from your social aspect. So, social and, of course, economic aspect. Okay, so based on your research, um, you know, you'll have a pretty good idea of the population center, you know, that is most, I would say, uh, most in line with your, you know, your vision of your world and, you know, your culture or what, whatever, you, whatever you need from the uh, population center. Once you identify the population center, uh, this will be uh, uh, this will be uh, say a center that you'll be gravitated towards with your economic activity, with your social activities. Even you know, even if you want to accept volunteers for your farm, you wanna <coughs> locate your farm uh, somewhere where those volunteers can come. You know, let's say with public service bus. Rather than you driving 50 kilometers to pick up your, you know, pick up your 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 woofer and then thinking, um, you know, then they then maybe running away because they, you know, they feel you know unsafe, you know, living, spending time with you in a remote location. So, I would suggest that you make, you know, you choose your town that you want to gravitate towards, or maybe just a huge city or whatever, but you know, living in the periphery, in the nature, and you start searching for land within that circle. Uh, you, of course, determine the radius for the furthest you're willing to live from its center and start searching in that area. For example, uh, for me, uh, that's uh, 30 kilometers from, uh, from, uh, from a uh, capital city that I'm living here. It's not, it's not a huge city. <coughs> so I plan to upgrade the tourists for most of my social economic needs to that city. So what I'm doing now, I'm, you know, I'm always looking for land because uh, uh, my farm, where it's located now, lacks the important aspect, you know, the community aspect, and everything is expensive for me. Everything is expensive, twice as expensive. Uh, you know, all the services um, they are not. They are, you know, it, it's rather remote without community. That's what I'm trying to say, and that's a huge disadvantage. So that's why I'm trying. You know, I'm always having that mindset. That's why when I'm doing this, I'm also thinking about myself, and I wanna, I, I wanna, um, I wanna, you know, search for land in that 30 kilometers radius because I know that 30 kilometer radius that means half an hour drive for me to the city. So that's not huge. You know, I can use even still public, you know, service buses if if I need to. You know, people can easily come, and I have a market. So that's why that's what I'm doing. I'm searching land, you know, max 30 kilometers from the city. If I go further, you know, I can go, go a little bit further, but then, you know, uh, you know, 
the point is determine that circle and within that circle go and search within you know within within that area uh, for a suitable land. <coughs> Okay, so <clears throat> as I said, you start your search and then you come to uh, perspective properties. Okay, so now we are going to talk about specific location factors that you should be looking at. Uh, first, I would, you know, first we need to talk about one, you know, one crucial thing and that's uh, should you consider buying bare land or a pre-built pre house? Uh, I would say that you know if house is already there, that could be an advantage, uh, but also it could be a huge disadvantage because there is a good chance that it may not be located in an ideal position, and not built according to you know permaculture principles of saving energy, you know catching and conserving, storing that energy. So you know what you often see is that most people build their houses on the top of the hill for the panoramic view, but displacement is expensive in energy terms. It's high up the hill, so that means a long, you know, uh, trek to get there. You know, water needs to be pumped. Um, you know, it's exposed. It's exposed to wind. And uh, I would say, in most cases, you know, the amount of money you pay for the, you know, that kind of house is, you know, and the quality you get is disproportionate. So, of course, it's significantly cheaper to purchase a land without existing house. But you know, on the other hand, if you buy, you know, if you, you want to buy bare land, you know, you there is a potential to be attracted to you know cheaper degraded land. Um, unfortunately, there is a lot of you know a lot of land like that all around. And you know, of course, we attempted with our permaculture skills to you know practice our you know restoration and everything. But the truth is that restoration is going to take time, and sometimes it's a decade-long process. So. Poor quality land until restored will be reflected in low and poor quality crops. So I would say that there is a trade-off between you know there is a trade-off between you know buying bare land and buying with house. Usually you know we buy with house and then you know there is trouble unless they, it can be uh, retrofitted. But just be wary of those two factors. Uh, while you know you need to consider you know what you want. If you, if it's bare land, then obviously uh, it will take time until you build all the infrastructure. Obviously, ideal would be that you buy land from from somebody who was uh, also a permaculturist. <coughs> that would be ideal. Okay, so I would say with that in mind, uh, the first thing you should be looking again, you know, upon arriving at your potential site, is the risk, potential risk from natural and man-made disasters. Uh, this is the climate of the site, so to speak, and you don't, you know, you you most certainly don't want to underestimate the importance of these factors. Um, even if the flooding is not currently so severe, with the climate extremes, it may be. So that's why I said that if you go to a site, you look for a, something that's called hundred-year flood, uh, you know, line, and that's a you know potential that you know. The, that's a flood that come that can come once in a hundred years, and it's usually devastating. These hundred-year floods uh, paradoxically happen uh, often and often in our you know in our climate reality. 
but you want to be, you know, you want to be, you want to be looking at that. Where is the flood line? Uh, where is the flood coming? And uh, I would say that second, you should, you know, uh, you should look like, uh, you should look for uh, significant hazards. Uh, you know, are there any uh, mining operations around? Um, toxic dumps? Uh, uh, what is, you know, are they? Maybe you know up, upstream, downstream. If there is a creek, and uh, you want to also look like look for <coughs> uh, if there are any you know if you can read the landscape, and we're going to talk about next time uh, if there are any signs of fire you know coming through the through the property, is the site prone to fires? So these are all the big risks you want to be aware of before looking. Uh, for the next thing, and you know, next thing usually, the first thing after all those things is water. So if you're planning anything to grow, uh, water is the primary necessity. Uh, you know, its availability should be a key consideration in your decision to buy a property, certain property. So I would, I would, you know, here I would uh, encourage you to look at the size of the watershed. You can do that from a topographic map. But you know you can do also from uh, once you at the site. Just just look you know what's the topography of the site and how much actually uh, <coughs> sorry uh, that property is uh, catching water. Uh, then you want to look at the potential water sources. You know if there is a creek, how reliable that creek is. Uh, uh, maybe it's there, but it's only seasonal creek, so. Uh, next thing you want to look at is the potential for water storage, and I would say here, you know, look at the certain geographic features. You know, if there are certain positions that will, you know, make it easier to for you to build a pond. Um, you know, if you, you don't have to move a lot of, you know, a lot of soil to build your dam or pond, then obviously you'll be saving money. So the water is first. Uh, next is uh, slope and aspect. You know, slope is you know slope in the land is uh, beneficial. Um, it gives you opportunity to store water high in the landscape, and then you know using the gravity to reticulate that water. Of course, if the slope uh, is you know steep, then that's best that's best left to the, for the forest. But also you know flat land is productive, but you know ideally you should have some slopes. Uh, you know uh, flat land may become subject to strong winds and flooding. And it doesn't have you know that potential as slope land has for gravity fed irrigation, and you also want to look at the orientation of slopes. Uh, this is very important uh, because you know you wanna you you don't want to end up if you're if you're in northern hemisphere you, you want to end up with a with a northern slope and don't have any you know sun exposure. <coughs> I would say that. Uh, of course, you want a south-facing slope if you're another hemisphere, north-facing one in the southern. And I would say the best-facing slope is the second best. Um, of course, after that, east, but north-facing, you know, if the whole property is just north-facing and you're in northern hemisphere, uh, that's a, you know, that's a huge disadvantage for, you know, anything that you want to grow. So, Next is access to the property, and here I mean, you know, uh, whether it's uh, 
ease of access to property via the, the, the access road and or you know utilities that you might be considering to uh, to uh, let's say you know connect to on your property so um, you want to look at what the roads look like and if the roads are long uh, how they are positioned ideally you should have you know ideally the property should have roads on the ridges because there is less erosion or roads on the contour um, you know you want to you, know, you want to consider also, you know, how, what, what is the potential cost of maintaining, uh, maintaining the road? And as I said, you want to consider access to utilities. You know, that, may, that this may include, you know, telephone, uh, electricity. What is, you know, internet? Of course, internet. So of course, you don't want to end up somewhere where you don't have mobile access for your phone. So. You want to consider how much, if they're not there, how much it's going to cost you to introduce them. Okay, so the last aspect to consider is soil and vegetation. You know, soil is important, but I place the last because it can be easily influenced by all the permaculture methods that we know. Um, we can build it, you know, we can, we can build it quickly, um, but also I would say that. Um, you don't want to underestimate the value of good soil. It all depends on your goal. If your goal is to realize an income from your farming activities, then you know you don't want you want to make your life easier and find a soil that will enable you to grow with less effort, you know, less water and everything. So you know, although it's not a pressing issue, the soil. Um, if your you know goal is generating income, then good soil, of course, is important. And finally, you know, looking at the vegetation, making an assessment, uh, what kind of vegetation is there, and I would say that in looking at the in relation to the size of the whole property, you know, are there pastures, forests, weedy areas, uh, just to have an idea, <coughs> what are <coughs> the resources uh, of the property. And with that, okay, we are done. Is anybody still there? Okay, so I almost lost my vo voice and I'm grateful that you are still there listening. Obviously, I'll need to drink more sleep of it. To get better. Okay, so Matt is asking: Is there a forum forum to discuss uh, these sessions after the live session? Well, you just go to the Eat community or to this uh, particular session, and you can leave your comments there, and you know people are there uh, discussing. So if you need to discuss something about this presentation, then you go there and and. Ask questions there. I'll, you know, I, I can answer them, or whoever is, you know, whoever is there. Okay, Sherry sure is asking any suggestion to protect your land from urban sprawl if. It is 
on the periphery of the city. Our area has a history of the city expropriating land from farmers. Uh, well, that, that thing, okay, it's not a, you know, each of us has its own, you know, a unique situation and some of them are able to, you know, move to a place and find a community that is not going to, you know, have or find land that is not going to be experiencing the, those kind of problems. <coughs> But I wouldn't, you know, that that's a that's a that's a bigger issue. That's an issue with your you know local council with your with your city. I don't know where around it. I really don't know where around it. Okay, thanks, Matt. Could you, uh, okay, Gian is asking, could you please give an example of this decision making? For example, what are the deciding elements of your moving from Australia to Croatia? Well, I would say, you know, if you're not, you know, I, I was born here, my wife was born here, uh, our families are here, our friends are here. Uh, the culture, the people that we know, you know, the culture of this place is everything that we, you know, you, we are used to this culture. And we have land here, and the nature, you know, we, we that's why I said about, you know, the barn thing and the climate and expressing we like our climate and we like the nature. We couldn't easily integrate into Australia way of living because all the things that were matter important to us or basically in Croatia, but obviously Croatia is experiencing uh, economic trouble, but uh, that's where the permaculture lifestyle comes in, if you are able to make a living from permaculture, if you have access to land, and if you are able to uh, create your own life and reclaim your freedom, and then you don't have to be forced to you know be in a rat race or uh, living a normal life. You can actually uh, make your own uh, life in country that um, is maybe not going that well economically. But as I said, there is more. There is more factors here. It's not just socio-political. <coughs> or economic. Okay. Okay, so Sonia is saying, I'm looking into a partnership with land conservation organization. They're always looking to protect. Oh, okay, okay. She's just answering that. Well, you have to be, that's why I said, the community is important, the culture of the community is important. If you find, you know, you, the subset of a community that you can belong to and, you know, uh, initiate some kind of change, then, of course, that's what you're doing. So, I would say good on you. 
yeah, I would say Helena says that uh, a lot of what I was saying doesn't apply directly to her situation because he already, she already probably owns some land, but indirectly it applies because I said that this is the armchair uh, phase of, uh, let's say, before you start designing. So you want to be aware of all the all everything that I was talking about. Okay, so Keith is asking, do you have any thoughts about setting up new communities rather than moving into an established one? Well, from what I realized, I don't know why, but if you're talking about creating one or making an intentional community, I would say that, you know, intentional communities have a high percentage of, you know, failure. I, I'm not sure why, but maybe just, you know, a lot of, you know, maybe just a, a structure or organizational thing. Um, I'm much more of a, uh, of a view that you first, you know, find appropriate community, then you, you know, try to, let's say, integrate your life in there. Um, then going the other way around and, and starting community. It can be done, of course, but uh, I would say it's, it's a harder way uh, to achieve the, you know, again, achieve the same goal. Okay, so Pedro is saying, I, I may have missed the explanation of the ranking of the choice factors based on your goals, but also based on the scale of permanence. Well, I would say scale, of course, on a side scale, I've done a, the, I would say that I've done uh, on a side scale, obviously it's a, it's a scale of permanence, but uh, the first most important would be your goals. That's why I, before, you know, I had to put identifying your goals and defining a context first, because then you'll be able to uh, look at a national scale uh, and then move, uh, you know, lower on, on the scale, move into killing scale of permanence. But you start with the, your goals always and then go, of course, water. Uh, but, you know, there are more factors, as I said, um, you know, hazards and risk and socio-political and everything. So uh, before you go even get to your property, so these are all, you know, community and uh, you can see the community before you get to your land. If you already have and you belong to a community, then find a subset of that community um, that has, you know, like-minded views. Well, I'm, thanks for all the wishes that I get better. I'm not as sick as, my, as it might sound, but uh, it just my you know, throat gets you know, dry and then I cough, but thank you very much. Okay, well Larry just, just send me an email later.
Yeah, Carolyn has a good point, you know, about researching carefully. If the city is interested in expanding it, you know, that, that's a that's a really good uh, that's a really good point. A really good point. Okay, so I'm not seeing any more questions. If there are no more questions, <coughs> I'll be ending up this presentation then. Okay, maybe there is one more. Okay, so Jordan is asking, when making a progression towards a permaculture farm, would you recommend first buying or leasing land with an option to expand or move? Well, this is a, not an easy one to answer. Obviously, you know, obviously the question is, uh, why would you need that option to, to move? Or, okay, maybe to expand, you know, maybe to, to lease or, you know, to lease with option to buy. Uh, but you know, I would I would approach it. I was thinking about it, and I would approach it. Obviously, first there would be community. Obviously, first I would like to you know live in a place where there is, of course, uh, opportunity for work. You know, maybe then strategically you know relocating to that community and just working and renting there, if you have enough money, um, renting in your potential. You know. Uh, area of where you think you would like to have your farm and then seeing maybe just testing ground you know and, and then seeing if you wanna really buy I would I would encourage maybe you know what you're saying maybe first renting and then considering to buy before locking yourself in uh, into into the area Yes, the best answer, answer in permaculture terms is it depends. Of course, because it depends on your unique context. And that's why, you know, it's important to go through the, you know, there is a context. There is your context, then there is a regional scale context, and there is site context. So that's why it depends. There are no recipes, you know, you, you do this, you get this. It all depends on your, your situation, your site. You know your your environment, landscape, community, and everything. Okay. All right. I'm not sure if there are going to be any more questions, but you know, if anybody wants to discuss this further, or you know, just come send me an email. I'm always email away. We can discuss your you know your search, your you know your situation. Uh, because then I can, then I can, you know, get inside what people really want, and then uh, write about that or create presentations like this. 
these whole presentations were, you know, the whole idea for the whole project about this webinar was actually born um, by, you know, just getting some inspirations from people who are saying what their problems are. So, okay, I think that's it. And if there are no... Any, uh, Okay. Okay, William, uh, Mark here. Yep. Um, so I think we, we can say goodbye and wrap it up. Um, I don't know if Wayne is on, if he's listening. Um, I don't think he's listening. Okay, we'll wrap up. All right, so... Actually, uh, yep. I stepped out. Okay. I'm here. Oh. Sorry? This is Deb. Wayne had to step out, but I'm here in his place. Oh, Deb. Okay. Nice to meet you. <laughs> okay. I'm done with the presentation, so we can probably crawl, close, and... and I'll you know. go ahead and I'll stop the recording. Okay, thank you very much. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the East Community Podcast.